0: Last weekend here on MediaWatch, we looked at how the Christchurch Call, the project backed by our government, which has the bold goal of eliminating extremism online, is digging into the secret algorithms that social media platforms use to target all of us with content. And we heard from Evan Henshaw Plath, who worked on a startup in the mid 2000s called Odeo, which eventually turned into Twitter. Which we learned this week, the world's richest person does want to turn into his own private property after all. Now, last week, Evan Henshaw-Plath told MediaWatch that every modern media platform has sparked concern that it might be bad for society. You can find
1: essays talking about how dangerous the novel is because the printed novel is keeping them inside and they're no longer being able to concentrate on going outside and talking to people because they're distracted by reading the novel. And you saw the same thing with... The telephone and the radio and television and newspapers and web and
0: email and social media. Coincidentally, that same day, the Irish novelist John Boyne told Newstalk ZB's Sunday session show that these days, social media is even influencing which novels publishers put into print. You know, publishing is nervous of social media furores and any sort of trouble. And I think it would be nice to feel that writers were being willing to to risk things. But speaking as an author, he said that cutting social media out of his own life had been a big help. And I feel free and liberated. But the trick is not just leaving it, the trick is then never looking at it. What's great is that even if people are sort of shouting abuse at somebody, um, you're oblivious to it. You know, it's just, it doesn't exist. Quite quickly, you realise how silly it all is, really. But unless billions of other people around the world on the biggest platforms come to the same conclusion, social media, its algorithms and their influence will still be significant worldwide. And while they amplify all kinds of content to us via social media, the biggest social media platforms are still harvesting data from us in ways we still don't understand and in volumes we can't comprehend, as News Hub's Patrick Gower pointed out in his TV documentary aired last week. Even if you wanted to, you could never, ever gather as much information on a person as the internet companies have already got. Yes, there are companies who hold way more information about individuals and businesses than the Bureau would ever be able to to access, and I suspect it's only going to increase as well. That was the boss of the spy agency, the GCSB, Andrew Hampton, talking there to News Hub's Patrick Gower. And while the big beasts of global social media already have PR problems over privacy and big data security, they're much more worried themselves at the moment about the commercial threats posed by each other. For example, TikTok has acquired more than a billion users in just a few years, and in his spin-off podcast The Fold recently, editor Duncan Greve said that Facebook has decided if it can't beat TikTok, it'll copy it. TikTok's big insight was we'll just show you entertaining content based on your revealed preferences just by serving you lots and lots of short form things and learning very fast uh, what that tells us about you. And Facebook said, look, they're right. That is a better way of going about things. And so, both in terms of the short form vertical video and content from anywhere that. Our, um, you know, our big data processing shows us what you like. We're going to move first Instagram and then Facebook towards that. That is not a small thing. Like, that's massive. And that overhaul of Facebook and Instagram's apps will be driven by AI discovery engines, which remain a mystery outside of the company Meta. Now, as we heard last weekend here on MediaWatch, Evan Henshaw Plath quit the US for Wellington, where he's now on a mission to decentralise social media. He's developing his own service called Planetary, which doesn't have pushy algorithms or ads and which doesn't harvest personal data. And that all sounds good, but with TikTok, Twitter and Facebook's users now in the billions, isn't it all a bit late to decentralise social media?
1: Back when I was working on audio and it became Twitter and my friends were working on things like Flickr, one of the early photo sharing apps, it felt important. It felt big at the time to us, but it was minuscule compared to the of how many people are using it today and how important it's become in people's lives and... You know, the the way in which it's reshaped culture and news and politics and the economy. And no one
0: had any idea. I mean, wasn't it always inevitable that the mo- ones that were most pop- popular would just become bigger and bigger? I mean, it happens in other areas of business because it's a business, right? You know, so Walmart, United Airlines, whatever, there will be a handful of very, very big companies that will grow bigger so long as the activity itself, social media, is uh, is popular.
1: That So there there is a network effect by which the, the winners win more. And companies grow bigger. But we don't have a single corporation running the world. Like, we don't have a single Amazon that dominates the world economy. Amazon is huge, and it has a role in a large part of the economy. But what we see with Facebook, and this is the change from six years ago, is Facebook today, the core Facebook.com, is a dying service. Every day, fewer people use it. They use it for less things. And they're moving off into looking at other things. Facebook was very smart and purchased WhatsApp, Instagram, and Oculus because they knew that Facebook itself would die. And so they used their wealth to try and leapfrog onto the next emerging platform.
0: President Trump got kicked off Twitter. Um, in fact, in the Forbes piece published recently, it said you might have advised your former colleague Jack Dorsey about that back in the day. I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, he formed his own social network. Is that, in a sense, you know, the right thing to do, uh, Just split off from a platform? I mean, I guess he didn't have a choice, but these also coexist uh, in that whole ecosystem as well, don't they, quite successfully? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and so now I totally support the
1: the removal of Trump's account. At mm. the time, I actually advised that Jack Dorsey not delete Trump's account because He was in a situation where the stock market controlled the majority of the shares of Twitter and the shareholders would have had a revolt if he'd cancelled the account without Trump doing something so outrageous as trying to organise a coup. Then the Twitter management would have been removed because they would have said that there was too much economic value in Trump having that account.
0: Well, that's quite a calculation to have to make, isn't it? Yes. But you, uh, in the recent Forbes article... Uh, About you. Um, It talked about um, your work in working to decentralise social media, Um, and it said Twitter and others are actually investing in this. Um, That seems counterintuitive. If they corner the market in microblogging, why would they be interested in decentralising the social media? Or have I not understood properly what that really means? From the outside,
1: it looks like the smaller players in the space, Tumblr, Twitter, Reddit, and uh, now Be Real, are like, they look like big companies. But they see themselves as smaller, nimbler competitors to the TikToks and Facebooks of the world. And so they actually have an interest in banding together with the larger set of users and and technologists who build open source technology to try and build something that uh, breaks Facebook and TikTok stranglehold on the social space. And so that's why, you know, we're able to work with these companies
0: to build an open alternative. Say so the difference is philosophically trying to make digital tools people can use rather than just a kind of pr- proprietary service. It's, it's exactly that. It's, it's a tools or think about how
1: anyone can set up their own email address at their own domain name, and it, the email goes to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to use Gmail to use email. Lots of people do, but it's an open protocol. When you uh, use the web, you can use Firefox or Chrome or Microsoft Edge or Safari as different web browsers that view the same web. What we're building is Something similar for social software and social media, where you can use many different apps that all have different opinions about what the algorithms would be, what the visual design is, whether or not it's optimized for video or photos or text, whether or not you can connect to everybody in the world, or it's scoped with private encrypted groups of people who are more intimate groups of friends who could collaborate. So that. What we want is we want there to sort of be a thousand flowers that bloom, as opposed to being dependent on a, a single person who decides what their development team does that
0: decides what speech is acceptable. So the users have control and the ability to actually create new parts of it? That's Absolutely. The, and is this what you're doing at Planetary? This is what I'm doing at Planetary. Okay. But is this a hard one to get people to invest in? Because you say let a thousand flowers bloom. That's great. But presumably investors that want to return, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're in business, you know, they would rather uh, you are one of a few flowers, you know, like the bigger platforms we've talked about that uh, have a lot of users, a lot of engagement and, you know, make a lot of money. Well, so the, the investors are very clear. You can't beat you can't beat
1: Facebook. So the investors are uh, say very clearly like they hate Facebook. They don't like the way it's destroyed innovation, destroyed the ability to do stuff. They don't like the effect it's had on American politics in particular. But they also feel like Facebook has a stranglehold. And unless you have a billion dollars like TikTok does, did to build up a user base through advertising and through paying compelling content creators, you have no way of building it. So the investors hate Facebook. But what we are building is an, an economic and social and political commons. And a commons is something that you think of, oh, it's a shared by everyone tragedy of the commons. But uh, fisheries are a commons. Forestry are a commons. We have lots of spaces where you have many businesses that exist and use this commonly held economic resource, the social media space, and those can be very profitable. And so what we tell investors is, like, you don't get to own everything, but you get to be a, a large fish in this ocean
0: where there's much more interesting economic activity happening. Okay. yeah. So there's an interesting quote in the Forbes piece about you uh, from Dominic Tarr. Yep. Um, so he uh, 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 was described as an eccentric open-source developer here in New Zealand, lives on boats, and I guess you've been a collaborator of his for some time. Maybe one of the reasons you've chosen to live here for a while, I'm not sure. But uh, he, he was quoted as saying, modern capitalism believes that what people want is convenience, uh, but I think what people want is a sense of control. So is that what you're talking about with Planetary, to develop online tools where people can have much more control than just you know, setting their, their groups, their privacy settings, and so on? So I think that they want control, and they also want connection. Like, we
1: are people, and we want to connect. It's like a fundamental human activity. And so studies about social media tell us that when people use social media to connect to people, to feel seen and to give that acknowledgement to others, and to communicate, then it greatly improves their their mental well-being. When people use social media as a passive consumer, just watching one Instagram reel after another, and where you open your phone, and then an hour later, you don't know what happens, that is very detrimental to your mental health. And so what no well, necessarily
0: yeah. why I mean, just like that's watching...
1: what the that's what the sci- that's what the social scientists have found in studies, just another form of entertainment though surely yeah, yeah sure a form of entertainment, and spending all day watching television is also not good
0: for your mental health, the ibn hillary fellowship. fellowship yep. Does this twin up with your work with Planetary? Is it kind of one and the same goal, or is there a specific project that you have in mind or a specific goal of your work that, that you want to translate into the, the work of the fellowship? So
1: when I first came to New Zealand for the Open Source Open Society conference, that's where I first met a group of people called Inspiral who are collaborating with technology and innovation here in Wellington, and I met people working on the Secure Scuttlebutt Protocol. That's the protocol that Dominic Tarr created on his sailboat in, here in New Zealand. And I started talking to them and I said, you need to combine this open source hacker thing with some knowledge of Silicon Valley, some knowledge of product and design and packaging so that normal people could use that. I started working on that. And through that work and through collaborating within Spiral, I came to know the Edmund Hillary Fellowship, where uh, people who are going to having a, a large global impact in the world are given a fellowship to come to New Zealand and a path to residency to use living in New Zealand as a way of having a positive impact on the country, but of the larger world. And so when I first visited, I didn't, everyone here told me that Trump was going to get elected and I didn't believe him because it was right before the election. And then Trump got elected and uh, I started looking at alternatives. And I ended up staying in the United States throughout the entire term of the Trump presidency because I felt like, I needed to be there in opposition to what was going on. But I also did the paperwork so that I could move to New Zealand and then finally finished it and then had to do the, the mess of MIQ lotteries and things oh, like okay. that.
0: All of that. Yes. Which took which took longer than I intended. First, finally, here in New Zealand, our news media have banded together to try and negotiate deals with uh, Meta and Google for payment. Because you know, six years ago, we also talked about how uh, the internet had undercut the business model of existing journalism. So our government is backing our local news media companies in this effort, uh, following the lead of Australia, where Meta and Google have been forced to cough up hundreds of, well, a couple of hundred million dollars a year to their industry, which is very significant. Do you think that's a good move for our media here? My
1: worry is that to get that deal, you have to play a game of chicken, With these companies, Mm -hmm. like before Australia got that deal, Google News was turned off in Australia and Facebook banned the sharing of anything that was a link to any news article. The news is hugely important for society. It's hugely important for New Zealand. It's important for civil society and politics and people and culture. The paid media world where there are professional media producers isn't that important to Google and Facebook and the other big Apple and the other big tech companies. To those
0: companies, it's almost like a giving back of a a civic good. The media companies say that it is. They say you do a Google search on some significant topic and you will find in the the top results stories about it created by news media companies uh, that – certainly tech platforms haven't contributed. Sure, to.
1: and, and they, they highlight that, but uh, they could easily turn around and just highlight Wiki News, the, the project of Wikimedia, that also has an article about all these different things that's crowdsourced with individuals who do their donation time. Like, they highlight it because they want the legitimacy and they want to support it, and they feel a social obligation to it, but it's not an economic obligation. So if you're going to win that negotiation, you got to realize where you are in negotiating, and what they want, and that to the big tech companies in Silicon Valley, New Zealand is a teeny percentage of their revenue and income. Mm-hmm. It's one that's prestigious. Uh, it's a highly respected country. It's a highly respected society. Jacinda is very well respected in the world. Um, and that matters. Um, but... It's, you know, you have to figure out that, like, it's a tricky game, and they're going to play hardball. And sure, if you can figure out a way to negotiate $100 million a
0: year that gets equitably distributed from these tech companies, then then do it. But if you do that, everyone will say, great, it's unfair that they don't contribute to the news that they share and distribute, the likes of Google and Facebook. The government will be happy because they have to shell out less and can worry less about the media survival and plurality of voices and all of that stuff, Uh, maybe even put less money into the media themselves, which has become politically controversial in in recent times here in New Zealand. But does that then mean Google and Meta as a source of critical finance for our local news media industries – You know, all it needs is a change of policy, a tweak in the future. And And they're going to tweak
1: the algorithms every single day. Another option would just be, say, that these companies are making a tremendous amount of revenue off of Internet ads from people in New Zealand. Take a portion of that Internet ad revenue that runs in New Zealand, charge a tax to the companies because most of them are making their money through ads, and allocate that to the media.
0: That's a better way of doing it? I I am not a public policy person, so I can't tell you what the right way of doing it is. But you do know how these companies operate, how Silicon Valley operates. So, just fundamentally, if Google and Meta paying news media companies and the way they do in Australia becomes a critical and important source for New Zealand's news media, is that a dangerous dependence because it could it could dry up or it gives that gives them leverage and dependence? on Sure, they're
1: companies. going to continue to they, they won't they don't care that much about the media. They don't care much, that much about the content of what goes on. But it would give them, uh, and and they're not going to go after the media because, frankly, to their scale, the commercial news media is teeny. What the risk is that the commercial pay and nonprofit and and government funded news media, the professional media, because they're not very important to these media com- these big tech companies, and because the revenue is very important to the professional media industry here they could make changes in what they display and how they cite how they work and what you know how it all works that all of a sudden make that arrangement moot they're not going to go after the media it just doesn't make much sense what what they could do is just innovate away from using this stuff for no reason about the money and then all of a sudden the media here has
0: no sustainable business model. Sure. But in that sense, like people say, oh, you know, you have the government funding news media companies. This is a dangerous, you know, compromise, you know, political compromise, editorial compromise. But you don't think Google Meta would be interested in any way in trying to influence the editorial content of any media if they become an important source of media. Like I wouldn't want criticism of them, for example. Uh, I mean, Elon Musk cares about that stuff.
1: (laughs) There are a few, you know... Larry Ellison cares about that. There are a few big Silicon, you know, Mark Zuckerberg cares a little bit, maybe. But honestly, those companies, they don't, they don't care. It's, it's seen as arm's length. It's seen as, as one of a, of 10,000 different kinds of content that they're monetizing. They're not going to make an
0: intervention in that. They don't, they don't care. That was Evan Henshaw-Plath, former founder of the social media network Odeo, which was a forerunner of Twitter. And Evan Henshaw-Plath is now also the chief executive of the tech platform Planetary, which is working to decentralise social media and break down the epic scale and power of the biggest platforms. And he's doing that from right here in New Zealand, where he's now an Edmund Hillary Fellow.